BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It is the Rocket Man versus the Twitter Man. Yeah, the new contest launched over the weekend with Donald Trump's insulting tweet to Kim Jong un. Uh, just what we need as he heads to the United Nations. For the first time as president of the United States. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you. Monday, September 18. How about it? Good to have you with us here. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Hope you had a great weekend, able to recharge your battery, spend some time with family and friends. It was a good weekend for uh, us, uh, and it was a beautiful weekend here in Washington, D.C., and for the first time, uh, the residents of the Lower Keys were able to get back to their uh, homes, to their communities, hopefully to their homes as well, although a lot of them get, got back uh, to uh, fearing the worst and face the worst once they saw uh, what had happened to their homes from Hurricane Irma. We'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day here in Washington, D.C., uh, and around the country and around the globe as well. Focus on New York, which people are calling the um, the Super Bowl of security with all these world leaders uh, heading in there, uh, already arriving. Most of them arrived yesterday, over the last night or over the weekend. And uh, Donald Trump himself coming in from Bedminster, New Jersey today uh, to be staying at Trump Tower. It's a good place to stay away from this week. We'll bring up to date on all the news. Look forward to hearing from you what you think about it. You know how to do so. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We jump right in, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. Some big winners at last night's Emmy oh, Awards yeah. in yeah. Los Angeles, hosted <clears throat> by late night TV show host Stephen Colbert, including. Alec Baldwin did winning. a great job, by the way. Yep, Alec Baldwin winning for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. Nicole Kidman for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series. That's HBO's Big Little Lies. And The Handmaid's Tale won Outstanding Drama Series. A streaming show won the Outstanding Drama Series. Of course, The Handmaid's Tale is on Hulu. Have you watched that yet, by the way? I no, still I haven't, haven't gotten around yeah. to right. no. watching that. I've heard it's very, very good. <laughs> 
Julia Louis-Dreyfus taking home another Emmy for her performance in Veep, uh, of course, on HBO. She is just fantastic in that program. Like many other actors, Julia Louis-Dreyfus had some fun uh, poking fun at Donald Trump. We did have a whole storyline about an impeachment, but we abandoned that because we were worried that someone else might get to it first. Um yeah, the Trump bashing last night was, uh, well, there was a lot of it. Alec mm-hmm. Baldwin having some fun as well, uh, talking about uh, the Emmy for Trump. I suppose I should say, at long last, Mr. President, here is your Emmy. That was, of course, in reference to the oh, fact that absolutely. Alec Baldwin yeah. won for his performance of Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. I'm not going to go ahead and play <laughs> the clip of Sean Spicer appearing uh, at as the Emmys. Appearing as Melissa McCarthy. Appear, yeah. Well, you, Stephen Colbert <laughs> did say thank you, Melissa McCarthy, uh, yeah. after he yeah. came off the stage. So that at least was pretty funny. But uh, it just seems a little strange to be laughing at Sean Spicer, given that he's going to make a quite a bit of money over the next couple of months. Uh, hey, here's a report in The Washington Post late last night. We may have some idea about what's going to happen to these national monuments that uh, Trump and Interior uh, Secretary yes. Ryan Zinke have uh, been considering Uh, The Post reports that Trump will modify 10 national monuments created by his immediate predecessors, including shrinking the boundaries of at least four Western sites. That does include Bears Ears, which we've uh, talked about in the past on this program. If these changes are enacted, this could test the legal boundaries of what powers a president holds under the 1906 Antiquities Act. This is big news here. Yeah, all about priorities, right? One of the greatest crises and problems facing this nation. Uh, Our national monuments are too big. We have to shrink them. Yeah. What an idiot. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, here we go. What do you say it is? Uh, the Bill Press Show on a Monday, September 18. So good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us uh, all across this great land of ours. We are there with you. Booming out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, just down the street from the United States Capitol building where the House is out this week for the uh, Jewish holidays and uh, the Senate is um, kind of here for a couple of days, and then they will leave as well. And uh, the president and um, many members of his administration, all the top national security people for sure, will be with him uh, at the United Nations for the president's debut, making his speech tomorrow for the first time in front of that world body. Uh, that should be something to see. We join you on YouTube, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, you're looking good today. And also joining you on WCPT, the great progressive um, big foghorn out in the Chicago area. Uh, hello, Chicago. Yes, indeed. A uh, little update on the hurricanes. Uh, it looks like Hurricane Jose for sure is not going to be touching land. Uh, It uh, stays comfortably off the Atlantic coast, well off the Atlantic coast. Uh, But the one to watch now is Hurricane Maria, which is heading in a direct line with, uh, um, I think it's already Category 3 or 4, 
uh, heading in a direct line for those same Caribbean islands that were just ravaged uh, by Hurricane uh, Irma. Uh, and then yesterday we saw that the residents of the Lower Keys were finally able to get back to their uh, properties uh, and to their homes, assuming their homes were still there. Uh, but the video that I saw yesterday, the, de 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 the devastation, the debris, uh, and so many of those homes just shattered. Uh, really, really, um, and, and, and still, very, very little uh, electric power down there, water not safe to drink, so the conditions are far, far from, uh, from normal. It's going to take them a long, long time to recover. Uh, so, Jamie, before we get into the news of the day, did you happen to see um, uh, the first installment of Vietnam last night? I did not. I was watching the Emmys instead. I went right from football to the Emmys, completely <laughs> forgot about uh, Ken Burns' Vietnam documentary. Well, I'm afraid I took the more intellectual route, I guess, or the historical route. Yeah, I watched. It, 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 Ken Burns is a national treasure. Absolutely. I mean, just amazing, the stuff that he has done. Uh, and this may be his best work yet, although the Civil War one. They'd be close second if 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 not the first. Uh, in fact, it, interesting because um, some, uh, many people have said, and this was repeated in the, in, in the in the film last night that the documentary that the Vietnam War is the most divided this nation like nothing else since the Civil War. Yeah, uh, and it still divides this nation. But what a powerful documentary, and it tells a whole story. Look, I thought I knew the whole story of Vietnam. Um, but it goes back farther than I thought, and it's a more colossal mistake than I thought. It actually goes back to 1858, which is when the French went in there as a colonial power. Wow. And then it was all through the French, and we supported the French, and, and the Vietnamese people wanted their independence to get away from the French. Uh, I'm just sort of wrapping up, but then, you know, the French failed, of course, um, and Ho Chi Minh was uh, close to and working with the United States to unify the entire country. Uh, then after the Cold War, uh, again, I, I thought our involvement really started with President John F. Kennedy, uh, a little bit Eisenhower, then John F. Kennedy. It started earlier than that. It really started with Harry Truman and then Dwight Eisenhower sending advisors, and then John Kennedy did the same thing, of course, and then Lyndon Johnson. And, then, and so where the French failed left, came back for a little bit with our support, failed again after Bien, Bien Phu, the United States moved in, and the United States then assumed the, the responsibility of the whole domino theory. Again, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower. There's an incredible clip of Vice President Richard Nixon talking about the domino theory and why he had to be there. John F. Kennedy continued it. LBJ continued that war because... It was John F. Kennedy's war, and he couldn't alienate. He felt the John F. Kennedy people. And then, of course, Richard Nixon took over. And the end result, uh, under five, the Vietnam War lasted through five American presidents of both parties. Five presidents of both parties. 58,000 Americans killed. 250,000 South Vietnamese military killed. A million North Vietnamese military killed, and two million civilians, um, North Vietnam uh, and South Vietnam, killed in all of that fighting. Uh, and again, the one war that the United States lost and should never have started in the first place. An incredible, incredible story. 
Uh, and last night was just the first installment, an hour and a half, of 18 hours uh, of this documentary. And the footage they have the, is, is just incredible. I don't know where they got it. And the interviews they have with um, former members of Viet Cong, former members of the, of the South, South Vietnam Forces, and, uh, f- and a lot of American veterans talking about uh, their harrowing uh, experience there where just walking through the jungle and, and never knowing every step could have been their last one because there were so many mines planted. Uh, by the Viet Cong in those in those jungles, it was incredible, incredible work. You know, two things. You note know that the Vietnam War lasted what five presidents? You said, yeah. Uh, mm, war in Afghanistan. Uh, we're already yeah. at three. We're, right. We're uh, getting... sec- second thing is, uh, if you have not read the recent New Yorker piece on Ken Burns, I believe it was mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the New Yorker mm-hmm. about two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, just it's amazing to Excellent. see how long it takes to put together these documentary series and how much work goes into. Uh, gathering the interviews, the footage, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to catch up. Yeah. Uh, you just have to binge some weekend on that, right? That's right, yeah. All right, so what do we have this week? We have this week. <laughs> this is going to be uh, interesting to watch. Donald Trump at the United Nations. Yes. Uh, Nikki Haley, our ambassador to the United Nations, she came into the White House briefing room on uh, on on Friday, and she mentioned that this is going to be uh, yes, Donald Trump's first time speaking to the United Nations General Assembly. This will be the first time that the president has addressed the General Assembly. They're all very anxious to hear what he has to say, and I think that he will make quite an impact. Uh, I think the choice of words there is uh, uh, says a lot. They are very. She didn't say they're eager to hear what he has to say. They're anxious uh, to hear what he has to say. Yeah, they should be anxious to hear what he has to say, because, uh, well, first of all, Nikki Haley, again, says, uh, and there's certainly, God, she's got this right, no lack of things to talk about. There are no shortage of issues with North Korea being front and center. Iran will be an issue. Syria will certainly be talked about. Uh Uh-huh. So think about it. Uh, Here's the president of the United States, uh, the host of the U.N. General Assembly, Going in front of the General Assembly, a president who, who in his short uh, eight, nine months in office so far, <coughs> pardon me, has alienated uh, the world community in many ways. Uh, first of all, by his calling for a Muslim, a ban on all Muslims entering this country, uh, which he has not backed off. And in fact, after the latest terrorist incident in London, on the subway, uh, Donald Trump used that as an occasion again to say this proves why we have to keep all Muslims out of this country. Um, and uh, so that, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how those um, Muslim-majority nations, um, usually they're polite in the General Assembly. Usually they don't boo, uh, but they also can just sit there in cold silence, which is what uh, has happened in the past. They could also fall asleep they during fall asleep. a during the I president's speech. I doubt that they'll fall asleep during Donald Trump's speech. I I just hope to hell that somebody has written a speech for him and he reads it from the teleprompter. God forbid that he would go up there and just wing it. That would be the wrong arena to uh, go off the teleprompter. Uh yes, and pretty dangerous. Uh, so we're, it'd be interesting to see if he repeats his call for a ban on all Muslims. Uh, this is also the president, of course who um, has, uh, is in verbal warfare, so far only verbal, for which we can be grateful, 
against North Korea, um, and uh, but but is very quick to express the threat of not just verbal warfare but actually military warfare uh, against North Korea. And we heard that again. We hear it again. Nikki Haley, nobody better than Nikki Haley, but even Rex Tillerson. Um, they were all talking, and and and, a, and our H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, asserting that the military option is still on the table. Um, here was Nikki Haley uh, yesterday. No options left. We've pretty much exhausted all the things that we could do at the Security Council at this point. Now. I said yesterday, I'm perfectly happy kicking this over to General Mattis because he has plenty of military options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Chuck Todd, I think this was on um, Meet the Press, which is the, one of the Sunday shows at any rate, where the host asked, well, so what did Donald Trump mean when he said that if they fire off another missile, they're going to be met, remember about a month ago, that North Korea is going to be met with fire and fury? I think that the fire and fury, while he said this is what we can do to North Korea, we wanted to be responsible and go through all diplomatic means to get their attention first. If that doesn't work, General Mattis will take care of it. General Mattis will take care of it. Oh, yeah. In other words, we'll bomb the hell out of you. Um, So you've got, again, Donald Trump appearing now, having done the Muslim ban, uh, threatening military action against uh, North Korea, in the process of which, remember, he also insulted the president of South Korea, accusing him of appeasement. Uh, He also, once again, uh, over the weekend, insulted uh, our strongest ally in the war against terrorism, uh, the UK, uh, asserting that if only Scotland Yard had been doing its job, then this guy would not have been able to carry that bomb onto the uh, subway. Um, And again, not knowing his facts, and again, insulting our allies who are right on the front lines, of terrorist activity, England and France, of not doing a good enough job. Uh, on top of which, of course, uh, Donald Trump has um, bolted from most of the people that he will be standing in front of by pulling the United States out of the Paris Accords, which, what is it, 95 or 100, whatever it is, nations have signed, who will be sitting in front of him pledging to do everything they can uh, to reduce the impact of climate change and and reduce and and reduce the um, release of uh, of of the poisonous gases, whatever, whatever. Uh, and Donald Trump saying, "No, we're not going to be a part of that uh, at all." Uh, so it should be an interesting speech tomorrow uh, at the uh, at the United Nations. Uh, Donald Trump, sort of the skunk at the uh, lawn party. By the way, Donald Trump also has his hands full in Alabama. Very interesting Senate race in Alabama. Luther Strange, the man who was appointed to fill the seat of Jeff Sessions temporarily until they could have an election to fill that seat. Luther Strange, Senator Luther Strange, is up running for uh, a full term with the support of Donald Trump who is going down there, actually, to Alabama to campaign for Luther Strange and with the support of Mitch McConnell. Uh, but the man who is leading in the polls down there is uh, the, the former head of the Supreme Court of Alabama, Roy Moore, who was thrown out twice as head chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court 
for failing to obey the law, once for failing to remove the uh, statue of the Ten Commandments from the uh, State House, and I forget what the other one was. But anyhow, Roy Moore is actually, uh, he, he is running against Mitch McConnell. He is running against Donald Trump. He is leading in the polls. And while Donald Trump is supporting Luther Strange, Roy Moore has the support of Steve Bannon. So it is Donald, the real contest in Alabama is Donald Trump versus Steve Bannon. Bannon is out to, and Luther Strange will not be the only one. Bannon is out to uh, challenge the leadership of Mitch Mitch McConnell and to elect senators who would oppose Mitch McConnell, to elect the opponents of Mitch McConnell to as many Senate seats as he can starting in Alabama. This is going to be a race to watch, folks. And if Roy Moore wins that race, there's going to be hell to pay in Washington, D.C. You know, I will uh, take a line from our friend Peter Ogburn, uh, and I I will say this about Roy Moore. Cockroaches know how to survive. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what Roy Moore is. Yep. You said kicked kicked off the bench twice. Kicked off the bench twice. It's amazing. It's just, and he's back, and he's very likely going to win this race. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in Alabama. Jeez. Dethroned twice because he broke the law. And now, most likely, he's going to be the next senator of the United States from Alabama. Uh, it's a real test for Donald Trump, whether he can, you know, he, he, and by the way, the people who voted for Roy Moore are people who voted for Donald Trump. I'm a little surprised. I mean, I, 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 mean, I get it why su- Trump's not coming out for Roy Moore. Uh, obviously, Luther Strains is a Jeff Sessions ally. But given uh, what we learned about Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions' current relationship last week, about how Trump embarrassed Jeff Sessions more than he's ever been embarrassed before in his life, I don't know. I could see Trump you know, suddenly turning around and saying, actually, I'm behind Roy Moore. I don't need a Jeff Sessions guy down there in Alabama. No. Now, I can see that, too. But uh, he's not. He's sticking with Luther Strange, going down to campaign for him. Uh, and also test whether or not um, uh, Steve Bannon has any juice and whether he can really uh, motivate uh, the base. Um, uh, so watch out. Watch out, uh, Alabama. On the Democratic side, a lot of criticism. So we've talked about this. I just wanted to touch on it again because the, the question is, and, and there's been several stories over the weekend since you and I were last together, about whether or not uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi ought to spend any time or put any, even be open to the possibility of any more deals with Donald Trump. We know they did that one deal, which was a good deal, which passed the Senate and the House right away, which the president signed a three-part deal for funding for Hurricane Harvey, lifting the debt ceiling and keeping the government moving. And now there's talk about possible deal on DACA for the Dreamers Act, or maybe on infrastructure, or maybe on fixing the death, uh, the debt ceiling so we don't have to revisit it every year or so, and perhaps other deals. And some Democrats are saying, no, no, no. Number one, you can't trust him. Number two, he's the enemy, and we have to oppose everything Donald Trump is for. And you don't make deals with the devil. And then he might want some stuff in this deal that we don't like. So therefore, uh, several members of Congress have said, no, Nancy and Chuck, stay away from Donald Trump. I got to tell you, I understand where they're coming from. I don't trust, trust Donald Trump either. But I think people who say never make a deal with Donald Trump 
are wrong. And the reason is because, first of all, I trust Nancy and Chuck Schumer not to make a bad deal with Donald Trump. They're not going to give away the dreamers. They're not going to, they've already said, if there's a deal, there can be no money for the wall in that deal. And uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington State issued a very, here she was here with us on Thursday in studio, uh, issued a very clear, I thought, word of advice, which is we got to be very careful when Donald Trump says he wants massive increases in spending on border security as part of that deal. We got to be careful as to what that is. More detention centers? No. Longer arrest periods? More powers to hold more people with no charges? Longer? No. Uh, but as long as it's a deal that Democrat that's good for the country and that Democrats can support, I believe Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer uh, would be making a huge mistake not to take advantage of that opportunity. I trust them to make sure it's a good deal. But if for whatever reason, because he's pissed off at Paul Ryan, because he's pissed off at Mitch McConnell, if for whatever reason Donald Trump, or be, or just because he wants to go, ching, got that done, boom, I got that done, he wants another check mark, another accomplishment he can brag about, if for whatever reason... Donald Trump is willing to sign on a good deal with the Democrats, with Chuck, uh, Chuck uh, Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, then they'd be fools not to do it. Uh, and I think we uh, should support that. Also on the Democratic side, a little, a little um, blowback uh, from Bernie Sanders uh, on Hillary Clinton's claim that um, uh, she didn't get enough support from Bernie and that not all the Bernie people ended up voting for her uh, Bernie, Bernie has been not not spent a lot of time talking about Hillary Clinton's book and her charges. For the most part, he says, "Look, I'm just moving forward. I'm interested in moving forward, rebuilding the Democratic Party, taking back the House and the Senate in 2018, getting the White House back in 2020. That's what he ought to focus on." But he did speak a little bit about it yesterday with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, uh, saying, um, "Yeah, not everybody, not all of my people voted for Hillary Clinton." Duh. Let me just say this. I worked as hard as I could after endorsing Hillary Clinton. I went all over this country. And I would remind people, you know, people say, well, not everybody who voted for Bernie ended up voting for Hillary. No kidding. That's what happens in politics. <laughs> it's true. And by the way, um, I, I, I checked this out last night. Uh, the polls actually, at least it was one poll that actually showed that 24% of Hillary Clinton's supporters in 2008 did not vote for Barack Obama. So stuff happens uh, in politics, and I, I, I do think it would be hard to make a case that Bernie Sanders did not go all out for Hillary Clinton. We saw him do it. We, he was on our show. He was on everywhere talking about the fact that it would be a disaster if Donald Trump won we had to support Hillary Clinton. That's what he told his supporters. That's what he went down the country, telling around the country, telling people in front of huge crowds. And sadly, Donald Trump was elected. I, I will say this. He did, Bernie, in that interview right after that clip, he did use that statistic, whatever the percentage yeah. was that voted for John McCain. The one thing is that, you know, it's a little bit different to vote for John McCain than it is to decide to vote for Donald Trump. Okay, I think we kind of knew what was but on the, the line made, with this election. The point, uh, still, the yes, point for made sure. Is you cannot 
But I, 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 you cannot control or order everybody who supported you to vote for the person that you end up supporting. I agree with that. I just wouldn't use that other talking point. That's it. Um, and on, uh, on, on, on the another front, which has gotten a little attention over the weekend, and you know we'll talk more about this perhaps because we're just about out of time here. By the way, got a great lineup of guests today, uh, starting with Jordan Fabian, who covers the White House for the Hill. Lots to talk about uh, with goings on at the White House and with Donald Trump uh, at the UN, of course. Uh, and then we'll take a look at what's happening up in Congress with the latest effort to repeal Obamacare. Uh, Elena Shore from Politico, congressional reporter for Politico, will be in the studio with us. And then Travis Waldron is back from Florida, back from hurricane country, uh, where, among other stories down there, he covered uh, the tragic situation at that uh, one nursing home where the power went out and uh, so many people died just because of heat exhaustion. Uh, Travis Waldron from HuffPost will be in with us as well. Uh, the one story I just wanted to mention quickly is you probably saw that uh, Harvard chickened out over the weekend. Uh, they had, as part of a forum where they invite people from all different works, walks of life, uh, some people from the White House, I think Sean Spicer is actually one of those who was invited. Um, that may be, yeah, Sean Spicer was invited. Corey Lewandowski, uh, Donald Trump's former campaign manager, uh, Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski from uh, Morning Joe on MSNBC, and a lot of other people from Washington around the country as part of a ideas forum. And one of the people they had included was Chelsea Manning, uh, which uh, some conservatives didn't really like. And uh, one, Mike, Michael Morell from uh, CPS, actually pulled out of a speaking engagement at Harvard because he said, in protest for this. And what did Harvard do? Harvard turned around and rescinded their invitation to Chelsea Manning because of a little pressure they got. I mean, to me, it's just the antithesis of what a an open ideas forum is all about. Um, yes, Chelsea Manning broke the law. Yes, she released some secrets to WikiLeaks. No, we haven't seen any evidence at all that those leaks jeopardized our national security, but it was against the law. And she served her time until President Obama um, didn't pardon her. Commuted the sentence. Commuted the sentence. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, and why not? I mean, why can't you hear what she has to say? Uh, particularly, again, for Harvard, which, which is, is supposed to represent the best of our academic and intellectual tradition, would say, no, we are open to all ideas, but we're not open to this set of ideas. Well, we'll have everybody else in. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. If you have Corin Lewandowski up there... Uh, and, and you would accept him and not accept Chelsea Manning? I mean, what kind of standard is Harvard setting for this? There are 12 student groups. I think groups, it's an embarrassment. There are 12 student groups at Harvard that are calling on the university to reverse the decision uh, to kick Chelsea Manning off of this. And they use a term which I think is, is incredibly appropriate. I think we're going to see this more in the Trump era. Is It's a case of selective outrage. Yeah. Selective that's, outrage. That's, that's good all point. it is. Yeah. You know, you may disagree with what Chelsea Manning did. But this this was just uncalled for altogether. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea Manning did speak at another forum uh, this weekend on Nantucket, uh, a similar kind of forum that is held every every summer on uh, end of summer on uh, Nantucket. And I checked this morning; Nantucket's still there, by the way. Yeah. What do you know? She didn't destroy the island. Wouldn't have destroyed Harvard either. 
Yes, Donald Trump at the U.N. for the first time. What can we expect? Jordan Fabian will tell us all about it. White House correspondent for The Hill coming up next. No kidding. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? It's a Monday, Monday, September 18. Uh, can you believe it? Hope you had a good weekend. Here we go. Uh, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. A little quiet uh, these days. Uh, the president out of town, and um, so is uh, the House and Senate. Uh, I think it's a couple of days before they go out of town. Uh, but we're still here on top of all the news of the day with the help of Jordan Fabian from The Hill. Uh, covers the White House for The Hill, and we always tell you, if you uh, want to know what's going on in Washington, either at the White House or at the Congress, no better place than thehill.com. Hello, Jordan. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. So here we are, uh, the president, first time in front of the United Nations. Uh, Nikki Haley yesterday pointing out that... Uh, Everybody up there, they can't wait to hear uh, what he has to say. Here she is. This will be the first time that the president has addressed the General Assembly. They're all very anxious to hear what he has to say, and I think that he will make quite an impact. She noticed she said they are anxious, not they are eager to hear. <laughs> they are anxious. Uh, it's going to be a test for him, isn't it? Absolutely. No, anxious is, is the right word, I think. Uh you look at foreign leaders from America's allies, and I think they're all concerned about what President Trump has done over the last seven months, whether it's uh, the saber rattling on North Korea, uh, questioning uh, the U.S. commitment to NATO. Uh, these type of things have rattled our allies, and they're anxious to see what he has to say in front of all of them, plus U.S. adversaries uh, tomorrow in New York. Uh, Muslim ban, pulling out of Paris Accords. Yes, <laughs> that you most- name it. The most of the nations in front of him are part of, right? Yeah. Uh, he's uh, said some snarky things about the Brits, even this weekend, uh, that they should have they had this guy in their sights, right, on the subway. Uh, not sure that they did, but accusing them, basically, of not doing their job. Snarky things against um, some of our other allies, including South Korea, accusing them of appeasement. Uh, and so how does he handle it? Will he have a scripted speech? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, his his advisors have been working on it for a number of weeks, and he's going to have a scripted speech. But, uh, you know, he, he, he could, a lot of times when he gives these speeches, you know, he, he tends to speak in broad terms, right? Mm-hmm. But I think these countries want to know where the U.S. stands on these key issues, and the Paris Agreement is a really good example because we saw over the weekend these reports come out that, wait, the U.S. might be reconsidering its position and might right. actually stay in the deal. But uh, according, according to my reporting, that was a little over-torqued. But it speaks to the fact that the U.S., on a number of key issues, including climate change, hasn't really decided where it stands on these key issues and is kind of confusing a lot of our, our partners. And and that's why you know I think they're so anxious to hear what the president uh, has to say. Jamie, if we can, let's go to um, H.R. McMaster uh, yesterday. Uh, one of the Sunday shows where, again, he's talking about Paris um, and saying, I mean, 
Rex Tillerson also talked about it, but this is McMaster who came to say that, well, no, it's not true that we're rethinking Paris. We're out of Paris, but then we might get back in. So what the president has said is that we're withdrawing from the Paris Accord. He left the door open to re-entering at some later time. If if there can be a better deal for the United States. Yeah, I saw two different so, headlines so yesterday. I saw two different headlines. One headline was that we're thinking yeah. about getting back in the deal. The other one said, no, he said, we're not back in the deal. That, that's not a clear statement whatsoever. Right. So uh, my read is, so what the... What the Wall Street Journal reported, which is the U.S. is going uh, considering getting back into the deal, is not true. On the other hand, it is also true that the U.S. hasn't taken any steps, concrete <laughs> steps so far, to leave the agreement. And who knows how they might play it when it actually comes down to the actual leaving part, which which will come in the next month, the next few months and years. But it's certainly safe to say that they've sent mixed signals on Paris. Absolutely. And and look, on on a broader level, he's ro- the you know, President Trump has rolled back a lot of the environmental regulations that, that President Obama put in place to meet that emissions target that the U.S. committed to under the Paris Accord. So whether the, the U.S. leaves the agreement or not is almost not as relevant to what the president is doing here at home. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and those 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 actions continue. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. A um, couple of tweets over the weekend got a little attention. Rocket man. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw some headline this morning. Twitter man versus rocket man. Is <laughs> oh, <laughs> This is what foreign policy has uh, has sunk to. Yeah, I mean, look, another another classic nickname for, nickname yeah. for the president, right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and the other was the uh, gif that he's retweeted, where he's hitting a golf ball on it. Yeah, I mean, okay, I saw it. It's not really funny. What's the purpose of that? How do you read it? I, what I, I, I don't know how much there is actually is to read into it. I think the president sees something on Twitter, he you hears something on funny? television. Yeah, it, it piques his interest. It's funny, whatever. He thinks it's funny, and, and he puts it out there. And look, I mean, when, when John Kelly came in as chief of staff, everyone thought, oh, you know, we're going to see a different Trump. Uh, not necessarily true. John Kelly has done, done some things behind the scenes to make the place work better, but uh, he hasn't really changed the president in, in that respect. He's still on Twitter. He's still tweeting. He retweeted six different accounts in the span of, what, like 20 minutes yesterday morning? Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. So uh, help me out here because, you know, I don't spend my life on Twitter. Um, that means that he is reading all these different accounts, right, or, or, or checking them these out. These are fans of his that are tweeting at him. So yeah. he gets them in his mentions like we would in our mentions, by the way, on Twitter. But my at point Show. is that he is paying attention to them, right? Well, all right. So he's on his phone. He's reading Sometimes, yes, but them. also his, uh, his social media director, Dan Scavino, oh. I'm, I'm almost sure, almost positive, has – Access to that account too, so it could be somebody on a staff who's seeing this stuff, and either got it, oh. you know, retweeting himself or t- showing it to the president and saying, "Hey, look at this." And this if is what you your follow, fans are saying. if you follow Dan Scavino's personal account, it's on brand for Dan Scavino to do the same thing. So it very likely could be him instead of Trump. But he couldn't do it uh, and pretend that it's Donald Trump doing it, or could he? He could. Yeah, he could. He could. So if, I mean, not, if he has a password to the account, he sure could. It may not have been Donald Trump who sent out the thing about Hillary Clinton. Maybe not. Huh. Right. But it's under his name, so it's almost you know, it's almost irrelevant whether he did it 
or not because it's going out under the president's is name. Is this just sort of a see. way of uh, keeping his base happy? Sending him stuff that he knows that they would get. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think that's been a constant approach of the, his first few months in office, doing things to satisfy the base. Mm-hmm. Pardoning Joe Arpaio, another good example. A more right. serious example, but yeah, yeah, another, right. another good example of that, uh, throwing out red meat to the base. Okay, so when Donald Trump comes, comes back from the U.N., um, he is going to get on the road again to Alabama, uh, and in which he is uh, <laughs> going to be supporting Senator Luther Strange. Uh, who, and it doesn't look, look too good for Luther Strange down there at the present time. Yeah, it's it's interesting this position that the president finds himself in because obviously he was the not you know anti-establishment insurgent candidate in the Republican Party, and now he's supporting someone in Luther Strange who has the backing of the GOP establishment, Mitch McConnell's handpicked candidate uh, for the Senate there against Roy Moore. He's yeah, so he is the he's supporting how the establishment flipped. candidate versus the uh, rogue outsider, right, Roy Moore. Yes. Uh, you know that a lot of the people who are supporting Roy Moore voted for Donald Trump. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see how the president frames it. Because sometimes, you know, he he, ha- he doesn't really have so much of a filter. So if he thinks that, you know, Strange isn't doing so well or he thinks he's backed into a corner on this, maybe he'll let that slip out during the rally on Saturday. It'll be interesting to watch for sure. Right. Yeah. And of course, uh, the whole thing takes on a heightened sense of uh, interest for those of us in Washington because Roy Moore's, one of Roy Moore's, Roy Moore's big backers is Steve Bannon. So you've got <laughs> former White House senior advisor going up against his former boss, the President of the United States. <laughs> It's unbelievable, isn't it? Though, yeah. I mean, we've never seen anything like this on so many levels. Yeah, and like it's it's really uh, you know it's, it speaks to how worried people were when Steve Bannon was leaving the White House and it's outside force, a disruption, a disruptive force for the Trump White House, and this is an example of that. Uh, you know, I know he was saying in a lot of his exit interviews that you know I'm not going to go against the president, but it's a really it's a proxy war against the president for sure. So yeah, right. It's not helping Donald Trump that he's against Luther Strange. So no, but I yeah. guess the question we'll find out is to what extent we heard that sort of either promise or threat on the part of uh, Steve Bannon. Uh, to what extent does he have a movement or able to mobilize people and really, you know, carry through in terms of delivering votes? Steve Bannon or Donald Steve Trump? Steve Bannon. Yeah, by the way, right. Yeah, the question is true of both. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, I think the bigger question here is is for Donald Trump. For right. Donald Trump. I mean, it's his test for Steve Bannon, too, because yeah. look, if, if Bannon can go up against a president, a Republican president, and win a primary, you know, we've seen him do it before. We've, we've seen him do it in, in the Tea Party era in you know, 2010, 2012, mm-hmm. 2014. But the difference was that the Democrats had control of the White House. Now it's, you know, he's, he's going up as, against his own party's establishment. But for Donald Trump, I think a lot of candidates in the House and, and the Senate who might be vulnerable in 2018 are going to be looking and watching and seeing, can Donald Trump, uh, can I follow his coattails? Does he have coattails that I can use for my own reelection? And if, and if he doesn't, what am I going to do? Right. So it'll be interesting for those House and Senate members to watch how this race is playing out and decide, right. are they, do they want the president stumping for, him, for them in 2018? Sure. Yeah. So if Donald Trump or if Luther Strange does not win this contest... It will embolden those Republicans 
who may not want to get too close to Donald Trump to feel that they can stay away, keep their distance from Donald Trump and still survive. That's right. And and, and on top of that, uh, you might see primary challengers in the Republican Party who mm-hmm. cast themselves as more, you know, pro-Trump than, uh, you know, your run-of-the-mill establishment candidates mount challenges and feel boldened to mount challenges against established incumbents. Plus, not to mention the chaos that will probably result with Roy, if Roy Moore is in the United States Senate, who is the avowed enemy of Mitch McConnell. That's right. And and look, Roy Moore is somebody who yeah. has a, a very controversial <laughs> past and is not afraid to say and do controversial things. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be someone who could be a real thorn in Mitch McConnell's side. There is a lead story in the uh, New York Times this morning. I don't know whether you've had a chance to see it by our friends Peter Baker. Uh, friend Peter Baker and uh, Ken Vogel uh, about lawyers. Cl- the headline: Lawyers clash over strategy by the West Wing, and the story is about how the White House and how the the, oh, the president deals with requests from Robert Mueller for documentation, more information uh, for their investigation into possible collusion and possible obstruction of justice. Where, according to Peter Baker. Um, the New York Times, the White House counsel, Don Mc, McCann, right? McC- Don McGann, yeah. Don McGann uh, is sort of like, saying, well, let's go a little slow here where Ty Cobb, the president's attorney, is saying, just give them all the documents they want and let's get it over with, right? What do you hear? Yeah, I mean, it's like a legitimate debate that's going on. And I, you know, I think if you're a lawyer and you look at the arguments on both sides and both guys have points about their positions – uh, the, the more shocking thing to me is they were discussing this all at a steakhouse where it's block away from the White House, BLT Steak, you know it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's oh. downstairs <laughs> in the New York Times, Washington Bureau, and they're sitting on an outdoor patio, basically I know having this patio, discussion. Yeah. No, really? Is yeah. that where it happened? That is where it happened. And oh, that so is there's a picture of it on Twitter. Ken Vogel put the picture up. He was sitting right next to him. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's... that's really, they were loud, really too. Like, they were speaking loudly. So not only for Ken Vogel to hear, but for anyone on the sidewalk... Exactly. ...to to hear. So... Good Lord. Yeah. And, and, and What are they thinking, right? And it's to the extent where they're not this, even just discussing... Washington, D.C. Yes. You couldn't even get away with that in, like, in Des Moines, right? Or, I don't know, some other place, right? Yeah, it's It'd crazy. Be, you'd be taking your chances. But to do... Have that kind of a conversation at a public restaurant on a public at an outdoor ca- terrace, it's, right? It's pretty stunning. And and not only were they discussing this, excuse me, this, yeah. this disagreement, but you know, uh, according to the New York Times, Ty Cobb was talking about Don McGahn's spies, and they were going after him and all, all kinds of stuff, crazy stuff. So it was really above and beyond. But yeah. uh, but it does mean right that also. Um, Mueller is on the on the move here, right? Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't think that the, uh, the we haven't heard much about uh, developments in the Russia case, but it's going apace. And he's hired someone last week, another attorney, I believe, the seventeenth attorney to join his team, who's specializing on uh, money laundering and, and issues like that. So I don't think there's uh, any sign that this uh, investigation is backing off or decelerating in any way. Right. Even though it's not up in the news every single day, right? It's right. still ongoing. Yeah, and look, I, I think a, a and, major development last week that got <laughs> overshadowed by some other news was 
they uh, apparently secured a search warrant for Facebook to search these ads that uh, I guess Russia and others were were paying for, and that's a sign that uh, you know they view that as part of their case and that they have evidence of some sort of criminal wrongdoing on somebody's part. So uh, I think that shows you that this is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big news last week is that um, Donald Trump has a couple of new best buds, um, Chuck and Nancy. Uh, and <laughs> and Frank. And Frank. Oh, Frank. Yeah, right. <laughs> the 11-year-old. <laughs> the president has always loved go-getters like Frank and invited him to come spend the morning with our world-class grounds crew. Frank did a great job cutting the grass in the Rose Garden and later spent some time in the Oval Office with the president. The president believes it's our duty to keep the American dream alive for kids like Frank. Uh, I haven't had a chance to uh, talk to my uh, good friend Dale Haney, who's head of the grounds crew at the head of the, uh, uh, at the at the White House, on whether or not he's going to hire Frank as a full time employee or not. But what, were you out there to, to watch Frank mow the lawn? No, I wasn't in the pool that day, but I saw oh. the, the pictures of video, and it was uh, it was quite something. I mean, good good, good for that kid. I'm happy for him. But uh, the the fact that Sarah Huckabee Sanders has mentioned yeah. this in about half a dozen briefings is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my favorite part about it was that, I thought it was ridiculous, but my favorite part about it was that you know Trump was trying to talk to him while he was mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah, and that I, kid was all business. He he had no time for Donald Trump. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I hope he didn't mow the entire 18 acres. I'm not sure how much uh, they let him do, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of lawn. Yeah, I think they let him do the Rose Garden, and that was pretty much it. They let him do, like, the little, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. The path to Marine One. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, so back to his other BFFs, Chuck and Nancy. Um, he, I think he enjoyed this. You have the the impression, right? Absolutely. I was on Air Force One with him the day after he struck that fiscal deal, Yeah, the, the first deal, and That's he came back to the he came back to the press cabin, which he rarely does. Um, yeah, especially on the on the smaller plane, and he was absolutely overjoyed. I mean, he was you can tell he was just so happy. I was also at the the Trump Tower press conference where he was so angry, and it was just night and day. I mean, his mood was just completely one eighty. Right. And uh, so let me ask you. Yeah. You're, so you're in the uh, in the press section there in the back of the plane. Did you know he was coming? Mm-mm, no. He just showed up. Yep. And it was like right before we took off, and he just like ambled back with John Kelly and and uh, <laughs> his spokesperson and just started talking. Just before you took off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So they wait for him to, uh, to and fire any questions you wanted? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So I asked him about the Dreamers, which yeah. is our next, uh, our, our next topic right now right. With, with Chuck and Nancy. Yeah. And? Uh, look, he, 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 I think he doesn't really... No, he doesn't know. I mean, I asked him if he supports a pathway to citizenship, which has been the question that's come up over and over again, and he gave a non-committal answer. He just said, we're going to look at it. Congress will decide, which really isn't an answer. I mean, we need to know what the president's going to sign. But he got a little... So for the first deal, the hurricane keeping the government going deal, you know, he got a little flack, but the very next day, he made that deal in the Oval Office. The very next day, it passed the Senate, and the day after that, it passed the House, and then he signed it. I mean, it, it... it happened, right? And yeah. For for him, uh, it was both a way of um, checking something off, right, and also sticking it to Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. Yeah, look, I think that— Which he had to enjoy. Absolutely. And I, I think, look, he's a guy who casts himself as the ultimate negotiator, and he might think, uh, you know, I it, it might he might be wanting to send a message to them saying, if you guys aren't putting my legislative agenda on my desk, I will go in another direction. 
I will find people who can put it yes. on my desk, right? Or put a deal on my oh, desk. Yeah, put a deal. Yeah, right. Uh, and so the, 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 the Dreamers deal is being discussed, right? A deal. Yeah, a deal is being discussed. Um, and what the, do they mean when he says we're, that, well, we're only going to go for this deal if we get massive? And that's what, in fact, uh, we've got that clip with um, um, Sarah, Sarah Sanders. Th- this is the, the, the talking point now. Massive, massive. The president supports the DACA program uh, and supporting making a deal on that. But again, that has to include that massive border security. Massive border security. What are they talking about? Not the wall. Well, here, so that's a million-dollar question, right? What are they talking about? Are they talking about more money? Are they talking about more equipment? Are they talking about more drones? Or are they talking about the wall? Because they've sent mixed signals on that, too, whether they want that wall money attached to a DACA deal. Uh, Tr- President Trump said three different things in one day about that subject. So there's still a lot that's unknown about this deal. We still don't know if Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan would even bring it up for a vote. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. I mean, mm-hmm. even if Trump does a deal... With Schumer and Pelosi, he still needs the GOP leaders to put it on the floor if it has any chance of passing. And they have not given that assurance. So we'll have to wait and see what happens be, uh, because, you know, I think people right now are there's this pers- uh, notion out there that there's this deal and it's like cooked and it's ready to go, but we're far from that point. But there's a potential. Uh, again, uh, I hate to keep citing the New York Times, but I thought they had a good editorial last week where they listed like, at least five different, and you've written about this too, at least five different potential deals if they really want to, like infrastructure would be another one, T- certainly tax mm-hmm. reform, although that may be, that would be a lot tougher, but for in terms of uh, things that Democrats would be interested in. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting so, though because it's, for Democrats, and there's a, there's a calculus here too, because we're talking about a, a president who the base, the Democratic base hates yep, and whose right. approval rating is in the mid-30s and- do you want to let him get these wins, uh, especially before the midterm election when you know, Democrats are want to take back the House? I right. mean, is that a smart play? And I think Schumer and Pelosi are going to have to think about that because the, the president has yep. made a calculation, uh, and I have a piece about this in the Hill this morning about dealing with Democrats, and he's decided that you know my base will stick with me no matter what, even though they they hate this deal. They hate the fact that I might give a uh, pathway to citizenship to undocumented immigrants. I'm betting that they're going to stick with me. And Schumer and Pelosi need to think about that same kind of calculus on their side and decide whether it's worth it. Right. And by the way, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, angst, if you will, on the Democratic side. I can tell you that from Democrats I've spoken to. I think my own feeling position is, I wrote a column about this, that if there's a deal that they can make, which is something that that is good for the country and good for the Democratic Party, they'd be fools not to make it, even given Donald Trump and who he is. Um, and I so, but it's a fine line that they have to they have to walk. A little anecdotal thing: um, Friday evening, I um, was talking to our colleague John Decker from Fox News Radio, uh, and he we were talking about this very point. So in the morning, every morning, he does a little um, radio check-ins with maybe 15 Fox affiliates. So this is the base, most of them in the southern states, right? And when that deal, first deal came down last week, he said, every one of those, every one of those talk show hosts in all of those 15 states, in those southern states, 
had no problem with the deal. Mm-hmm. They thought Donald Trump was doing the right thing because they're anti-establishment. They don't have any love for Mitch McConnell. And if Donald Trump was sticking it to Mitch McConnell and Paul Riot, yeah, they love it. And that's what you know, I, I heard so, from my sources too. They say you know the base, <laughs> they're less. It's less about them being doctrinaire on immigration. It's more about them supporting Trump and in sticking it to the, the D.C. establishment and shaking things up. And that's what they. That's what a lot of them see here, apparently. So, it's inter- I mean, that's that surprises me, but it's um, it's an interesting perspective because you know, the president might feel emboldened to do yeah. these kind of deals. Yeah, if that's well, the case. I gotta tell you, Jordan, you're right in the hot seat every day, and uh, you got to admit, uh, one thing that Donald Trump has done is he'd made he's made um, your work and mine uh, a lot more exciting, <laughs> and no lack of things to write and talk about. No doubt. All right. Thanks so much for coming in. Again, folks, check it out. The Hill, thehill.com. Elena Shore joins us from Politico to talk about what's happening on this end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Coming up next. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is uh, the Rocket Man versus the Twitter Man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, all of that coming on uh, the eve of Donald Trump's first speech to the United Nations General Assembly. That ought to be interesting to watch. Uh, the man who stands in front of the crowd that he has uh, basically insulted every single last one of them in his nine months as president so far. Hello, everybody. Great to see you. It is the Bill Press Show on a Monday, Monday, September 18. Thanks so much for joining us as we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We're just down the street from the United States Capitol building, our studio right here on uh, Capitol Hill, uh, with the news of the day from Washington, from around the country around the globe. Uh, We'll bring it to you. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you as to what you think it all means. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We always remind you Twitter does not belong to Donald Trump, even though he he is its most frequent abuser, user or abuser. Um, You can use Twitter too. And we want you to, to tell us what you think about the news of the day to help us through the news, particularly on this end of Pennsylvania Avenue, the United States Congress. Alana Shore is a congressional reporter for The Great Politico. Hello, Alana. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to be here. So the House is out this week, Mm -hmm. right? And the Senate here for a day or so, or are they out? A couple days, yeah. A couple days, right. And then they go home for this. For the Jewish holidays. For the Jewish holiday. And Donald Trump is in New York. But still, we'll catch up with what they could be doing if they were here or should be doing if they were here or what they might be up to as soon as they come back. We'll jump right into it with Alana Shore and with all of you. But first, 
Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. Talking about the Rocket Man and Donald Trump. A new NPR poll is out this morning. They asked Americans whether or not you think Donald Trump can handle North Korea. Well, the majority has spoken out. They say he cannot. They question his ability, 51% of Americans to be precise. Additionally, 74% of respondents agree that the U.S. has an obligation to protect its allies in East Asia. Now, this poll, of course, uh, since it's just out this morning, conducted prior to Donald Trump's Rocket Man tweet. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that uh, 51% gets even higher the next time that they uh, poll these respondents, because I don't know if calling Kim Jong-un Rocket Man is necessarily a uh, good sign of how Trump's going to handle this situation. By the situation. way, I doubt that Kim Jong-un considers that an insult. I think he wants to be known as the Rocket Man. That's I agree. Point. I think he likes the attention. A- and he fires them off, you know, with regularity. Yeah. The Big, maybe he'd rather be... Big rocket man. Right. The, the, the poll is great hair. The poll was also conducted prior to uh, the latest launch of a missile late Thursday. Uh, in case you missed it, the Emmys were last night. Of course, the headlines include big wins for Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Alec Baldwin, uh, and Donald Glover, plus Sean Spicer's podium appearance, which we will not play on the show. <laughs> One of my favorite moments, however, happened early on in the program when Dave Chappelle, the comedian, took the stage with Melissa McCarthy. Dave Chappelle, as you may mm-hmm. not know, is a D.C. native. Chappelle admitted that he had skipped rehearsal as he began uh, speaking. He said, now I'm going to read this teleprompter. Please forgive me. Shout out to D.C. public schools. Here we go. Now, later on in the show, when John Oliver accepted his award for outstanding writing for a variety series, he said, quote, like Dave Chappelle, I would like to unexpectedly thank D.C. public schools because I think it would be great if it started trending tonight on Twitter for no reason whatsoever. So if you're tweeting about the Emmys at home, please use the hashtag D.C. public schools. Well, that's exactly what happened. Uh, D.C. Public Schools responding on Twitter last night saying, what an unexpected honor. We'd like to thank our educators, our families, and, of course, our amazing students. So what a, what a fun. cool that's little fun thing last night. That's Public Schools. That is fun. Who get very little respect. Right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I, they must have gained a lot of followers overnight. Right now they're at 56.9, uh, run 56,000 followers on Twitter. So cool. All right, lots coming up here, folks, with Alana Shore, and we'll get right into it in just a minute. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. What do you say, Monday, September 18, uh, yeah, big night for Donald Trump last night. He won his first Emmy. Oh, oh no, that's right. That was Alec Baldwin who won that Emmy, <laughs> but who dedicated it to the president. Of course, that's how he got it, playing Donald Trump on Saturday Night Live. How are you? I hope you had a great weekend. Welcome uh, to the Bill Press Show this beautiful Monday. It's a beautiful day here, at least in Washington, D.C. Good to see you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Great to see you also on Free Speech TV, and great to join you on WC, WCPT out in Chicago, uh, the greater Chicago area, as we come to you live from Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, Alana Shore joins us from Politico, 
whose main job is covering the United States Congress. And uh, it's been busy, you know, a lot of busy, a lot of stuff happening in Congress lately. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, particularly on the health care front on several areas, mm. Alana. So we thought that the effort to repeal Obamacare had come and gone and was dead, and suddenly it seems to have new life, or does it? It absolutely has new life, yes. The, um, the effort to repeal. Uh, until yeah. September 30th, it can be considered to be alive and well. And Why is a, that? Um, and that's because there are these arcane budget reconciliation rules, we call them. Basically, uh, the maneuver Mitch McConnell decided to use in January that lets him pass any health care bill with 50 votes. Mm-hmm. That expires at the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. I got it. So when they come back, they'll have a week, or right? or uh, Ten days-ish. Ten days, yeah. Uh, and this this bill is sponsored by uh, Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's important to remember, you know, we all remember the, the dramatic rejection <laughs> of the repeal bill by John McCain. This is a completely different health care bill. But because of the way budget reconciliation works, they've already had their limited hours of debate on this question of health care repeal. So it's conceivable that if Mitch McConnell got 50 votes for this very new bill, he could just call it up and have a vote tomorrow. Without any debate? They've already had their debate on the health care They question. cannot have any more debate? I mean, they certainly can, but he's not required to schedule not a certain required. amount of hours the way he was before. Right, right. So remind me, the last time, we remember John McCain's dramatic vote, but he wasn't the only one to vote against it. Right. Absolutely not. There was also Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, um, neither of whom. Well, Susan McCa- Susan Collins is close to a hard no on this new bill. Mm-hmm. Lisa Murkowski has not spoken out yet. So, by the way, um, I don't know what you saw, but Lisa Murkowski, Senator Mark- Murkowski, yes, uh, was spotted over the weekend right ah. here on Seventh Street uh, at the Eastern Market uh, by herself. Uh, Jamie, did you see that she was uh, strolling? Uh, just chat, checking out the stalls and the vendors. We have a open market on the Seventh Street here, Saturdays and Sundays. It's sort of the the headquarters of yep. Capitol Hill, and she was out there in the crowd. Spot, somebody spotted her, and I I don't know where I saw it. Maybe in the post this morning hmm. or something. I was just walking along. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the senators who live far away stay here for the weekends because of the jet lag and plane. I mean, it's fairly common. So anyhow, uh, your point is, so they need that Murkowski and Susan Collins and John McCain were no votes on the last repeal. Were there more? Well, I mean, it's an open secret among the press corps that that many others kind of wanted to vote no. Uh, It was those three that provided sort of the public cover. Okay. And and the vote count would be the same. Mitch McConnell would need minimum fifty. He's yes. got fifty two senators. Yes. So even if the two women, Murkowski and Collins, stay no, they still need one more. Right. Well, and he's also got Rand Paul and potentially Mike Lee to contend with. However, you know, these conservatives made a lot of noise about the previous Obamacare repeal bill being not conservative enough for them and then ended up voting yes. Yeah. So Okay. And uh, John McCain. And John McCain. But it's hard to believe that John McCain would vote against Lindsey Graham. I mean, they are best friends by any stretch of the imagination, to be sure. John McCain also, however, made a very public show of, you know, defending his principles. I don't believe it was a show. I believe he drew attention to those principles of regular order for a reason. 
The question is now if John McCain feels that this bill, uh, let's call it Cassidy Graham, even though now it has Dean Mm -hmm. Heller and Ron Johnson on it, has gotten enough of a public airing. And Ron Johnson is so determined to satisfy John McCain that he's talking about scheduling a hearing in his committee, which has no real jurisdiction over the private sector healthcare market, just to be able to show John McCain, look, look, we did regular order. I'm making air quotes. Um, You know, who knows if McCain will go for that? Right. Um, uh, The piece in the Post this morning by E.J. Dion which makes the argument, I've not read this bill, uh, but E.J. Dion makes the argument that actually this bill is worse than the last bill in that it really does, does away with all subsidies. Just basically, it really does repeal Obamacare. Well, this bill, I mean, to avoid getting too deep into the weeds, it's it's very federalist, right? So it gives both sides ammunition. One side, like Lindsey Graham, will say, hey, if a state really likes Obamacare, it can keep Obamacare. But I think what Dion is referring to is if a state doesn't like Obamacare, it can pretty much just tear it out completely. Whereas the other bill sort of had more base protections for certain layers. But the expansion of Medicaid would, would end completely, correct? More or less. Yeah, right. So, and then that's that's... I think under the previous bill, they could still keep it going, perhaps. It, 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 you're right. You get deep into the weeds here. But yeah. anyhow, uh, for those... For what those, matters, I think, to listeners will be that it 100% repeals Obamacare. Right. Yeah. Uh, and when, so when might that come up? How soon? Well, so, Sometime before September 30. Well, here, here's the interesting question, Bill, is when the House would have to pass it. Because keep yeah, in mind, the House yeah. has already voted on a completely different bill, right? Mm-hmm. And it's our understanding, but I'm not necessarily 100% on this, that the House actually, as long as it doesn't amend the bill, can pass it any time. As long as the Senate, where reconciliation matters mm. to avoid a filibuster, passes it before September 30th. So if I'm a betting woman, I think McConnell will call it up at the very last possible day if he has the votes because the House timing doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no doubt that this bill, as extreme as it is, would pass the House. I would be stunned if Republicans faced with, you know, you know, resuscitating the failure of their signature achievement, you know, didn't fall in line. Mm-hmm. Right. Um the um, in the meantime, on the health care front, um, we had another development last week where Senator Bernie Sanders, um, with a measure that he has fought for and introduced in some form uh, for years, uh, the last time in 2013 where he stood all alone at the podium and nobody joined him and nobody ever signed on. And this time he was standing there. You were probably there with 16 Democratic senators. I was there. It was a, it was like a political campaign. It was incredible. Meaning big Just, crowd? And- yeah. I mean, your normal bill unveiling press conference is a fairly sedate <laughs> affair, right? <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot this of was a, right a packed about. auditorium with huge cheering crowds chanting single pair and, you know, all the big names behind Bernie. It was, it was yeah. lit really well, like a movie set. Did, uh, did all of them speak? Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, um, not all At- 16, but okay. all uh, Gillibrand, Booker, Warren, everybody who was there. All of the... Um, Potential presidential candidates. Uh, yes, I believe you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with Bernie, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, and and Cory Booker, and Elizabeth Warren. Actually, what's funny about that, Bill, is that um, there were a lot of like professionals in the healthcare field and and ordinary Americans affected by the bill who spoke mm-hmm. after Bernie but before the other senators. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, otherwise, it was interesting arrangement. Otherwise, the cameras going would have gone away. Um, well, I think Bernie wanted to, you know, yeah, 
underscore also, who mattered, which is the people mm. affected by the bill. Oh, and yeah, his colleagues can come after that. It was it was kind of funny. I don't understand who matters, which is also Bernie Sanders, right? <laughs> All right. So um, what are the chances that they can get beyond the 16 plus 1, 17 senators who are for it and actually bring this to a vote or get it past the Senate? Zero. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, and I rarely speak so confidently. I, we're talking about this Congress, right? I mean, Republicans are in charge. Uh, Republicans actually called up um, the House single pair bill from John Conyers, which is not terribly dissimilar to Bernie. It's not identical yes, right. uh, for for basically a test vote to embarrass the Democrats during the health care fight in July. Um, this was a little noticed thing because everyone was way more uh, interested in whether the repeal bill would pass or fail. But what Bernie did there was really interesting. So the Republicans said, hey, we're going to force the Democratic Party to go on record about its new best friend, Bernie Sanders' health care bill. And Bernie said, you know what? I see right through this. This is not a real vote. There's no substance. Like, I, I'm going to vote against it. And I think, you know, other people who support my plan should. Now, to me, what was significant of, about this and frankly, the whole single payer bill is that Bernie is trying I mean, let's call this like a new Bernie. I mean, he wasn't ever emboldening his supporters uh, overtly when they said, you know, like, we don't think any Democrat who doesn't support this should be in the party. Yeah. But he wasn't necessarily speaking out against them loudly enough for some of these Democrats. And now you see Bernie coming out, all of his supporters saying this is not a litmus test. We are absolutely fine with any Democrat who wants to support any proposal that expands access to health care. It doesn't have to be ours. Mm -hmm. That That's a big step. I mean. It, it sounds pejorative, but it shows a maturity that wasn't necessarily always there before in the eyes of some of his colleagues. This is a real sensitive thing. Bernie's very powerful. And, you know, he's got to be on his colleague's side unless they're going to face, you know, rebellions from the left. Right. No, I think it's very smart, politically very smart, because one of the other options, for example, uh, and I'm I'm a 100 percent single payer. I, I would have if I were a senator, I'd be on this bill uh, for sure. But. Um, one other option, uh, Senators Sherrod Brown and Debbie Stabenow, both of whom are very, I think, great senators, great progressives, can't, cannot challenge their credentials at all. Uh, they're proposing sort of a middle ground, which is uh, the same thing Hillary Clinton said during her campaign. Let's open up Medicare, not Medicare for all, but Medicare for anybody over 55 mm -hmm. who wants to go that way rather than buy private insurance. That's a good first step. You know, that would, it's not universal coverage. Mm -hmm. But you can't say it's wrong, I guess, since that's, that's what Bernie is saying right now. This mm -hmm. is another option. That's a good plan, too. The ultimate goal is, for him, Medicare for all, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one other option. Yeah, go I was going to say uh, Claire McCaskill significantly came out and backed it this week as well. Oh, did she? Because, you know, the one thing they they the have 55? in common, Brown, Stabenow, and McCaskill, they're up for re-election. Yeah. So you already see the effect oh. that folks are moving a bit. Right. I didn't realize Claire McCaskill was on board. That's significant, particularly coming from Missouri. Yeah, right. Uh, and then I think Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have said, let's focus on fixing Obamacare, right, which is not anti-single-payer, but it's sort of saying we do have this challenge right in front of us right now that the Trump administration, even if the repeal bill doesn't pass, the Trump administration is doing everything they can administratively to undercut Obamacare. Uh, That's true. I mean, of course, those leaders are also acting out of political necessity because they can't really afford to have this conversation about single-payer right now. Uh, it's, you know, it's 
pretty counterproductive for their aim, which is taking back Congress. And then when that happens, we can maybe have this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but do you believe that um, health care once again is going to be a defining issue in 2018? I believe it will be, but I believe these proposals, and, and there are two we, we should mention also. Uh, Chris Murphy has a proposal to expand Medicare beyond 55 to everyone. And the important distinction there is, you know, Bernie would create Medicare for all and single payer. It's the choice. Uh, basically, eliminate the private insurance markets mm-hmm. and here's mm-hmm. a government-run system. Yeah, right. Chris Murphy would say, let's just have a Medicare-like public option. Basically, I'm offering Bernie's version of Medicare to, for anyone to buy into, individuals or businesses. But if you want your Anthem or Blue Cross plan, you can still have it and they should compete. So that's Chris Murphy's idea for all ages. What's interesting about that is, is that's exactly what Barack Obama initially proposed. It's funny, yeah. Obamacare. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a great idea. He convinced me that the public option was brilliant. It was necessary. He, remember the speeches that Obama gave? Yeah. That this is You need this public option in order to provide competition and to lower costs. And that that's an essential part of Obamacare. I, 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 he convinced me. I think he was right then, and I, I couldn't believe that he dropped it. So now Chris Murphy is Well, back. Chris Murphy, I mean, he's the one senator. He was giving, I actually looked at the congressional record, he was giving speeches defending Obamacare like the day after the website crashed. Oh, <laughs> like when it, it was really not very popular yeah, for Democrats yeah. to be out there saying Obamacare is working. Right. So that's very, you know, him on brand for him. Mm-hmm. And Brian Schatz, um, who he's very close with in the Senate, is doing something similar for Medicaid, um, creating a Medicaid buy-in. Basically, on the theory that Medicaid has less cost control issues. We're all familiar with, like, Medicare's cost ballooning issues and things like that. Um, So those are two other options, the Schatz and the Murphy approaches. Schatz and Murphy plan to release their proposals uh, probably next month. They didn't really want to step on Bernie's toes, um, understandably. Mm -hmm. Right. So so to answer your question, though, is healthcare going to be a big issue? I think Republicans would love to make... Do you support Murphy, Schatz, or Sanders, an issue for these Democratic incumbents? And that's why you see them all flocking to Medicare by 55. Mm-hmm. Um, Alana Schur is with us from Politico, Politico.com, a no better source on the politics of the day, uh, whether it's happening in the Congress or the White House or around the country. Um, check them out several times a day, as I do, and you will be well informed. Um, Politico.com. Now, uh, you mentioned the, the leaders, uh, Schumer and Pelosi, who, um, just, you know, they, it was like robbing the bank, right? They got away with it with this big deal they made with Donald Trump uh, on hurricane relief and, and keeping the government going and lifting the debt ceiling. Uh, and now they're talking about potentially some other deals with Donald Trump, which has created some angst among some Democrats, correct? Yes, have you talked to some of them, or what are they telling you? Well, the angst is nebulous, right? I mean, I in my story on Friday, I used the phrase, you know, dancing with the devil. And I think there's a sense um, Chuck and Nancy are very good at their jobs, as one Democratic senator tweeted. But Trump is also very mercurial, bound to change on a dime. So everyone's more or less happy to see them getting a leg up on him in terms of the actual substance. But they're aware that that could change at any moment. And they already see Trump backing away from the agreement that he reportedly made with with Schumer and Pelosi last week. So Democrats are angsty because they're feeling like we're already giving in too much to this guy. 
And on top of that, this is less an elected Democrats issue and more uh, a liberal progressive outside the Hill issue. There's a worry about normalizing Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a president that a lot of these groups want to see impeached if Democrats take back Congress. And here they are laughing over sesame chicken. You know, it's a, the the visual is very jarring for some folks off the Hill. But to be clear, on the Hill, they're willing to put their trust, but but they're they're thinking, oh, God, I, I mean, this could change. You uh, could lose. Just as an aside, um, uh, I, I was, uh, Carol and I uh, were honored once by uh, being invited to a White House dinner. Okay, not a private dinner, but a big dinner, but not like, not like this one. But if I were invited to a White House dinner and they served Chinese food, I mean, sesame chicken, Really? This is the yeah, best week. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't put KFC on the table yet. I, I, quite honestly. No, but you got to understand Chuck it. Schumer loves like that kind of Chinese food. That is right oh. up his alley. Oh, is that it? Yeah. I mean, Hunan yeah. Dynasty here on Pennsylvania Avenue is yeah. Chuck Schumer's favorite restaurant. <laughs> is it reopened? By the way, they had a fire there, I know. But... You know, I believe so. I'm not I'm not positive. Oh, God. Okay. And I'm not well, even just, sure if they I had Hunan. They had Chinese dinner. I thought, what? This is a White House, right? But he was also, according to the White House, a gesture, you know, not just that this is the kind of food that Trump and Schumer grew up on, like cheapo New York yeah. food, oh. but but they agree <laughs> on Chinese trade. Oh, oh, oh I see. Because imagine so how it would have looked if they, like, had Mr. Chow's seven, $17 <laughs> fried rice. I mean, they kept it simple. I actually thought it was kind of a nice touch. All right. Well, the point, okay. So the point is, if they can, I, I understand, I understand the debate, and, and I clearly, and it's true that Donald Trump is mercurial and he may want some stuff in a deal that you just can't go along with or he could turn on you on a on a dime yep. right yep. ask Jeff Sessions yep or Mitch McConnell yep right at the same time for whatever reason because he just wants a win or because he's pissed off at Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan if they can get him in a position where they can get what is a good deal they feel for the country and, and a good deal for the Democratic Party, like the last deal. Why not? Right? It, it do- will not surprise you, Bill, to hear that Democrats like to wring their hands and be riddled with self-doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. So this is, in a way, just Democrats playing their prescribed role. Um, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. And you I think know. the majority of Democratic lawmakers feel that way. But there is this undercurrent mm-hmm. among some of... Ugh, now, we heard it uh, here in studio last week from two two members, um, Ted Lieu from California and uh, Pramila Jayapal from, uh, from Washington State, both of whom said, yeah, we're fine, but with these deals, but you got to be very, very careful. And the one phrase that concerned them was the one, if we can hear that again, Jamie, from Sarah Sanders, where she says, sure. We're ready to make a dreamer deal, but there's one condition. You've heard this phrase before. Here it is. Yeah. The president supports the DACA program uh, and supporting making a deal on that. But again, that has to include that massive border security. Massive border security. Massive border security. You know, and as Pramila Jayapal said, Congresswoman, that if massive border security means more detention facilities and more detention beds, you know, and holding more people for longer periods of time. She said, no, that's no deal. So that's a question, I guess. What do they mean by that? 
Well, I mean, let's think about this in terms of proportionality. Mm -hmm. Um, That 2013 immigration reform bill that passed the Senate and died in the House, Mm -hmm. um, it was a while now, but folks probably remember that this had a ton of border security money, something on the level of $40 billion. It also created a path to citizenship for something on the level of 11 million people. So, okay, scale it down and look at the dreamers um, who would be just over one million. Right. So DACA affects 700,000. This is important for listeners to know. Right. Because DACA and dream are different things. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing Schumer and Pelosi are trying to get here. A deal for dream, not just DACA, Uh, uh, a bigger pool of people, 300,000 more immigrants. But still, you're topping out at just over one million that would get help under this deal. Mm-hmm. So think about it. If Dems voted for 40 billion ish, massive by any stretch for 11 million, we're talking about like 10 ish, less than 10 percent of that pool that's being affected. So would you describe 10 yeah, percent right. of that 40 billion yeah, as massive? Sure. Maybe you would. But I think Dems are very conscious of like, we're not going to vote for anything that's out of proportion for what we've voted for before. No, good point. So so the question then is how much money, right? How much and money? For what, right? For what? And you know, uh, there was a detail that I put in my story that I found was fascinating that I think your 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 listeners will uh, appreciate, which is Democrats are so hyper aware of not appearing to fund anything that even resembles a wall. Anything that Sarah Sanders could get out and be like, oh, well, technically, see here, this is the wall in air quotes. They nixed funding for a border dam in May's government funding bill because they thought, hmm, new border dam, new construction of some kind of barrier along the border. Oh, my God. Is she going to come out there and say, like, this is a down payment on the wall when it's clearly not? No, we can't let this dam in this bill. So I think Dems are primed to -hmm. keep watch. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But uh, um, clearly that uh, I think Schumer and Pelosi, in a sense, are kind of feeling their oats and seeing an opportunity and seeing them and they're going to ride it as long as they can. Right. Look, and the important thing that that maybe, you know, the members in their caucus can't acknowledge is that the GOP is just fractured every day by these meetings that they take. You know, we like to use the word optics. It's a little bit of a substance free word. But the optics of these meetings Mm -hmm. with Schumer and Pelosi are terrible for the Republicans. So why not keep taking them? Yeah. Right. Um, now, uh, with your congressional beat, you may be seeing a new senator from Alabama. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I, I love that Roy Moore has this tradition, uh, and Roy Moore is the uh, front runner right now. Front runner. Uh, of riding on a horse to the polls every election. I didn't know that. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. You got to look this up, guys. It's on great. On election day, he rides. Yeah. Um, well, he, on the, in the, primary he did, and I hope he does for this runoff yeah. as well, because it's amazing, and I want him and Ryan Zinke, the Interior Secretary, who also oh, rides a horse rides to work, horse. Yeah. Yes. to just be trotting down Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, you mean if he gets here... Right? Wouldn't that be a- great? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's very Trumpian, too, because, you know, Trump loves military parades. You know, everybody's always said one of Trump's greatest dreams is to have a military parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. I, I don't know. If I were Trump, I'd consider switching my uh, my well, support. I'm just thinking, you know, there is a bike path up the middle of Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, I'm just saying, if Senator, uh, Senator uh, Strange's people are listening, they should be afraid of this uh, <laughs> this horse photo op that's going to come out in Washington. <laughs> well, the thing about this contest is Donald Trump supporting Luther Strange and Steve Bannon supporting Roy Moore. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Steve Bannon's out of the White House. I think like this incendiary bomb throwing attitude um, Trump 
he might not believe this, but he's been convinced that someone like Roy Moore would undercut his agenda. And and Roy Moore would undercut Mitch McConnell's agenda. Oh, my God. For sure. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, I think Roy Moore would vote against something just because Mitch McConnell. See, you get the impression. Just mm. because Mitch McConnell was for it. Yes. Yeah. Now, and that is the last thing Mitch McConnell needs. Think about it. He's already grappling with Rand Paul, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski on the moderate end. I mean. Don't ask me to feel sorry for Mitch McConnell. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't care how I don't care how bad it gets for Mitch McConnell. Okay with me, right? I don't want to see Roy Moore in the Senate, but I would still not uh, shed no tears for Mitch McConnell. By the way, Alana, if you have some time after the show, uh, I suggest Googling Bill Press Roy Moore C-SPAN. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a couple Ooh. years back, Bill interviewed Roy when he had a new book out, right? I think at that he time. He had a new book out, right? And I, the whole argument, it was the I whole debate centered chief. around the it was Constitution right, and This and was after the Ten Commandments. Yes. So this was after the first time he'd been rejected or thrown off the right. Supreme Court. Right. Not the second time. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it became a pretty fiery interview. Uh, <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. For it's, an, it's an hour too. It's a. It was, oh you my! Know, it's a, it's I'll check it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I'd better uh, duck if Roy Moore gets arrested. He may come after me. Oh man! Well, enjoy your uh, sort of uh, semi week off here. Thank week, you. Right? Thank you. Always good to be with and you. And thanks for keeping up uh, with uh, things as well as you do, uh, and uh, all your great reporting, and for joining us this morning. And when we come back, Travis Waldron. Back from the hurricane wars in uh, Florida. Tell us all about it here from Huffington Post. Uh, Alana Shore again at Politico.com. Quick break. We'll be right back with Travis Walton. Frank did a great job cutting the grass in the Rose Garden. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show how about it monday september 18 here we are the bill press show washington dc is where we start out we end up with you uh, wherever you are in this great land of ours on youtube on free speech tv and on wcpt out in chicago among others uh, also, um, join you in Indiana. What is that, Jamie? Indiana Talks? Is that, yeah, the name of it, right? That's right. Indiana Talks, 7 to 8 a.m. Uh, you can catch us there, indianatalks.com. All right. So you can't escape us, basically, is what That's we're right. saying. Uh, and as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, the great men and women of the Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean, the sky is the limit for them, and you can check out their website at www.ironworkers.org. Uh, over the weekend, uh, we saw that uh, Hurricane Jose looks like it's uh, not going to make a landfall, uh, staying comfortably uh, um, pretty far out in the Atlantic Ocean, but Hurricane Maria is now heading toward the Caribbean, and uh, for the first time, the residents of the Lower Keys in Florida were allowed back in uh, to um, hopefully go back to their homes, but not all of them found their homes there. On the scene down there in Florida for uh, eight days, uh, Travis Waldron from 
Huff Post, who's back and joins us in studio. Hey, Travis, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Good Never to thought I'd be so happy to see Washington, D.C. again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Eight days in Florida, even in good times, is more than I want to spend in Florida. Yeah. You were there in some of the some of the worst times. So the last time we talked to you, you were in Hollywood, California? Or in Hollywood? Florida. 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 I'm sorry. We were in, right. we were in Miramar, uh, which is close, close by. Which is where we stayed through the storm, uh, but we were we were reporting all over Broward and Dade counties. So overall, uh, are people back in their now the Lower Keys? We know, but the rest of Florida back in their homes and and uh, power back and for the most part, when we were down there, even by you know kind of Monday and Tuesday, people were starting to get back to their homes. Uh, not in the Keys, obviously, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I think even when I left on Thursday. You could only get seventy miles down US one into the Keys, so a long way. I think it was about as uh, Key Largo as La Mirada was as far it was open, but uh, across Miami, it was it was starting to get back to normal. Some of the neighborhoods were still without power. Uh, Florida Power and Light, which is the main electric company, said that they expected to have everybody uh, back with power on the in the main part of South Florida, excluding the Keys by the end of the weekend. So hopefully most people have power again. But, you know, there was still a lot of damage, tree damage, uh, things like that. But it wasn't nearly as bad, at least on, on the Atlantic side, as they originally expected. So, uh, you know, it was, for the most part, just it was trees and loss of power. There weren't too many too many structural damage. The, the, there were so many tragic stories that came out of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, but particularly the one that that really hit me last week was this nursing home in mm-hmm. Holly was in Hollywood, California, Hollywood, right? right. Hollywood, and, Florida. And, yeah, uh, it was, you, you were there. And what? I stopped there on Thursday, which was so Wednesday morning. The first patient died there Tuesday night, um, and then Wednesday morning, seven more died. Uh, they lost power during the storm, and they had even, no backup generator. So they had a backup generator, but for for some reason that it didn't kick the air conditioner on. So their air conditioner was still out. So it was. And what do they do about it? Nothing. Uh, huh? They. That's the question. Uh, police are investigating. It's being treated as a crime scene now. And I mean, even by the time I got there Wednesday, it was wrapped in in yellow police tape. You couldn't get to the nursing home. Even families that were stopping by couldn't get in to get belongings. Uh, they they had obtained a search warrant. So they were going through the nursing home trying to conduct an investigation. There was a command center there. It was a, a full-on crime scene. But according to one of the residents I talked to... Um, of the nursing home? Of the nursing home, which sits like it's about 1,000 feet to a hospital, one of the best hospitals in Florida. And you know, she said that by the time she got there on Wednesday morning... Uh, the the residents of the nursing home had been evacuated. They were lined up in the parking garage of the hospital, and they were being processed into the hospital. But she told me that the hospital made multiple calls to the nursing home trying to offer assistance, and they didn't want it. Now, the, the nursing home now says that they called a special hotline to Governor Scott. He says that's not true. There's They say they've been on the phone with the health agency, et cetera, et cetera. But Somewhere along the lines, that whether it was at the nursing home level, the state level, agency level, who knows, there was a breakdown. And it, you know, we, we talked to people down there who told us over and over that one of the most dangerous parts of hurricanes is not the actual storm, but the aftermath. 
and mm-hmm. we we saw that and yeah. it's a it's a it's a tragic situation and hopefully uh, someone will be held accountable for it because it shouldn't have happened. The that air, much was clear. The air conditioning, so the power goes out, The air, with it the air conditioning goes out, the backup generator doesn't kick off the air conditioning mm-hmm. or whatever. They, they realized this, right? They've got, I don't know how many patients in that nursing There was home. about 140, I believe. Really? Uh-huh. Ooh, huge. Uh, and, uh, and, so, and how hot was it? Uh, so they wouldn't, the police wouldn't give us a temperature when we, at the press conference that I was at on Thursday. People died of heat stroke, right? A lot of them were heat related. Most of the deaths were heat related, uh, cardiac arrest, things like that, that were related to the heat. But the woman, the woman I spoke to whose mother lived in there said that she was, it was very, it was extremely hot and that she, her mother was sweating pretty badly Tuesday night and that it was hotter at the time inside the nursing home than when she walked out into, Mm. it was after dark, so it was night, so it was a little bit cooler. But, I mean, it was, when I was there Thursday, it was in the 90s outside. And it, it, I can't imagine standing outside of it how hot it must have been inside of it. Right. So you showed me on your cell phone a picture of taken from the parking lot or the front entrance to that Mm -hmm. nursing home to the hospital. I mean... It's it's as close as this building across the street yeah, is from right, us, right? Right. I mean, I walked. So what so the I hell? Walked, and the hospital yeah. had power. The hospital had power. The hospital backup power, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. If you've got 140 people here who are dying of heat exhaustion, right. why don't you call that hospital and say we need to bring these people over there, or right? Whatever. And, I mean, the que- there's so many questions, and you know, we tried to get in so, touch with the nursing home uh, owners and the company that owns it, and they didn't answer us. Uh, they, to what I've seen, they haven't really answered anyone. Uh, but why they didn't call nine one one? Why that? Why they didn't call the hospital? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's all in it's it's all unclear. But the hospital, I mean, I walked it. So the the nursing home and the hospital are on the same side <laughs> of the street. Uh, the the emergency room entrance is actually around the corner. But even if you went all the way to the nursing or, to, or from the nursing home front door to the the emergency room around the corner, it took me like four minutes to walk it. Uh, it's less than a quarter of a mile. It's mm-hmm. it's probably you know only a thousand feet or so. And there's there are closer entrances to the hospital. You know, kind sure, of back right. entrances, things like that. Uh, the hospital actually ended up processing most of the people, or a lot of the people, or was able to get them to other hospitals, other facilities around the area. But it, it still it it, it raises so many questions um, about uh, the way Florida's nursing homes are regulated and the way that that or not or, or not. I mean, I talked to a state senator outside who has already introduced legislation to increase regulations on. Florida's hospitals, he or Florida's nursing homes, excuse me. He told me basically, you know, we're supposed to be licensing safe spaces for people, and instead we're we're licensing death warehouses. And you know that I think the thing mm-hmm. is, is that this happened at this one, and this company has a and its owner has a particularly checkered history, to say the least. But it, I think there were, you know, if you looked around, there were numerous where this potentially could have happened. Is this just a a Florida problem, Travis, when it comes to nursing homes? Or think of other natural disasters, uh, earthquakes in California, uh, hurricanes obviously in other states? 
Uh, that's one thing I want to look into this week, but I, I, you know, I think for when it comes to the hurricane, it's it's certainly a Florida problem, but you know, it, it could be a problem lots of other places. I, especially not just in the regulations, but when it comes to recourse, the the Trump administration earlier this year rescinded an Obama era rule that would have made it easier for people to sue nursing home companies, uh, most of which, a lot of which, require patients to go into arbitration as opposed to direct lawsuits. Uh, that's, I believe, the case in Florida. You can sue the direct licensee, but according to the state senator I talked to, this one was licensed essentially to a shell company, oh, so they don't wow. have a ton of assets. So it's but, not even sure. It's not even clear what sort of recourse these people might have. So and, you say it's a it's a criminal scene, right? Mm-hmm. right. So they opened a they meaning they sh- murder charges or second degree murder charges. I'm not sure, and, and against whom the. The head of the the owner or the manager of the nursing home, right? Or? So those are all things that I mean. The police are, you know, it's it's a typical sort of crime investigation in that they held a press conference on Thursday afternoon when I was there, and and most of the questions were answered with, "That's part of our investigation. We'll find out." Mm. Um, but you know, they said that the the state, the feds, uh, federal agencies, any anybody with oversight is cooperating on this investigation. So. You know, we'll see. I, but it 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 was definitely being treated as a crime scene almost immediately. Yeah. Now I saw that, but I, I just wasn't sure what charges have been fired against whom. I don't think there's been any charges filed yet. They're they're conducting what what seemed like a pretty thorough investigation. I mean, they like I said, they had a command center trailer right outside of the of the nursing home by Thursday morning. Uh, uh, you can imagine the lawsuits and oh yeah, that are going to be involved oh, yeah. here too. Right, right. But I think, so, yeah, and I, again, though, I mean, I, I would stress from from being there and, and reading about that and then reading about things afterward mm-hmm. that, you know, this is something that we really need to, to look at on a far larger scale than simply this one nursing home. Yeah. There, there are plenty of questions to answer about this right. one nursing home, but in terms of, you know, the overall picture, uh, I think it could have happened at any number of nursing homes across Florida and potentially any number in the United States. Around the country, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think you should uh, talk to your bosses at HuffPo about maybe an expanded investigation here. Um, I have to ask you this, um, not to be flip at all, but with all of that water in Florida anyhow, and now with this hurricane, even that more, much more water, were there like alligators everywhere? No. What? No. No? The flooding was mostly Come gone on, by snakes. No snakes? I didn't see any snakes. No pythons? Didn't see, didn't see anything. That's what I'd be afraid of. I Gator mean, World in Orlando told us that they, they could 100% promise. Hold that, up. Gator World? Yes. They told one of our reporters who was in Orlando that they could 100% promise that none of their alligators would get out. And as far as I can tell, they... they well, I'm not talking about the ones that might so have been far. In, uh, in Gator World, but just uh, in general. I did not you know, see like, any alligators. Okay. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Bill's going to go down there for himself and uh, check it out. <laughs> I wasn't uh, exactly looking for them. No, but I, I mostly no, try to just, avoid it, wildlife. It, but it just seems to me that they would be everywhere whether mm-hmm. you were looking for them or not, because they, you know, they're not going to stay in their little ditch or wherever they happen to be living. <laughs> if you get a chance to move around, they'd move around. How did? How did? I, I know that because I've been there. Florida, in general, warm climate, a lot of homeless people. How do they deal with the homeless? No, they actually took a unprecedented step in Miami Dade County, which is that they they enact or they infor- implemented a law called the Baker Act, which allows them to involuntarily detain homeless people ahead of 
certain events. Uh, they did that to six. Uh, they used the law to to take in six people against their will. Because uh, they they round them up basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Yes. So for so the, just to get them off the streets. One would, I guess, the most positive way, if you want to put a positive spin, would to get them out of harm's way. Yes. Um, that was kind of a last resort for police and homeless officials, people who work on homelessness in in Florida. Uh, before that, I mean, we were downtown on Friday, and they had public buses lined up, you know, downtown to just taking people to shelters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were going around checking on people that they knew. You know, they have re- previous relationships with these people, the the homeless trust in, in Miami-Dade County. And so I think they, they told us that they got about 500 to shelters that they knew of. There's 1,100 homeless people in Dade County. So 600 mm-hmm. unsure about. Uh, a lot of them, we, we talked to a couple homeless people in Fort Lauderdale, which is a... Uh, in Broward County, just to the north of Miami, and they were t- they knew where the shelters were in that area, so they they were planning on going there. We talked to a homeless person or two at a shelter in Broward County who told us that they had either gotten there on their own or police. They were part of a police kind of program that found them and took them to a shelter. Uh, it was it's obviously a big concern. I mean, you have eleven hundred yeah. homeless people in a in a county in one county and. You know, a storm of historic strength well, yeah. bearing down on yeah. them. Uh, the Baker Act thing is is obviously raises questions. It's it's certainly not. Um, it certainly raises questions about is that the best way to do it? Uh, you know, obviously you feel the need to protect people, right? But you know, detaining against their will is involves rights questions. Uh, they were taken for. I think the people who were arrested and under were that taken, law were taken for psychiatric evaluations. So the law has pretty has a requirements on when you can use it. But did you, did you see any uh, evidence of, with, with all the evacuations and everybody uh, having to get in their car and buy gas? Did you see any evidence of price gouging? The prices went up, but I don't. Uh, you know, I don't. It didn't seem like they went up drastically. Uh, they were higher in South Beach and Miami Beach when we got there than they had been on the mainland, but I think that's true generally. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, but even, you know, so I didn't see any direct evidence of price gouging. I know Governor Scott came out, and I think they set up a hotline for people to call. Uh, but also, I, yeah, it was remarkable how calm the preparations were I, I, and orderly. I mean, people were not, you know... They weren't fighting each other in line for gas. And, yeah. You know, I think it was, they well, did such a good job that people knew how strong this was. That they through, started preparing very early. They've been through this before. Right. Right. A few times. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was the Attorney General of Florida. It might have been Texas, but I think it was Florida where I, I saw her call out 7 Eleven, saying, shame, <laughs> on, shame on you, 7 right. Eleven, because they dramat, dramatically raised the price of yeah, gas. Yeah, I didn't that, notice uh, anything gas wise. Right. Uh, and everything, you know, when we were in the stores buying water and things for ourselves, it, it didn't seem too out of line. So. Yeah. Um, now, Travis, Travis Walden with us from HuffPost, HuffPost.com, of course. You know, we remember you when you were nothing but a little uh, sports reporter. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but sports is still uh, sort still of there. beat, by the way. Yeah, uh, I was at the Nats game Friday night to see them lose 7 to nothing to the Dodgers. <laughs> I don't know. I think they might have relaxed a little bit now. That's already, okay. Already in the playoffs. Right. But, yeah, but they can't do that. I gotta, you know, We don't want to see them fold again once they make <laughs> the playoffs. Um, 
But the biggest sports news uh, of the last few days has been uh, ESPN, uh, even the White House getting involved in uh, with uh, Jamel, Jamel Hill, right? Jamel Hill, yes. Um, and her comments. Sarah Sanders, once again, she has talked about her almost every day. Uh, she, uh, on Friday, once again said that the ESPN ought to do their thing and fire her. I think ESPN needs to stand by the standard that they have set in the own actions that they've taken about previous employees. That previous employee, of course, was Kurt Schilling. Of course. Right. right. Yes. Uh, should she be fired? No. Should she be suspended? No. No? No. All right. She's a sports anchor, and she's uh, attacking the president of the United States? She didn't attack him? What, what did she say that was false? <laughs> well, she she, was, she called him what he is. Yeah, right. He's a white supremacist that surrounds himself with other white supremacists. With other, with other white supremacists. There, there yeah. was nothing yeah. like what she said was. There's a lot of evidence to support it. But is she? Should she be allowed to say that as an ESPN talk show host or yeah host sports commentator? I don't see why not. Is it different if she had done it on air, Travis? She did this on Twitter, by the way. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, if it comes up on their show. But, like, I don't know what ESPN wants. It, it, ESPN is has at, at, at once fostered uh, this personality-driven television. They like their personalities being out there. They all talk about... A lot of them talk about politics. I, You know... Look, it's. I think so. I don't. I don't want to speak to ESPN. Can have their policy. They can do what they want. What they're doing, though, in this is they're essentially pandering to a small vocal group of people on Twitter and on Periscope that want to make ESPN out to be this massive liberal company engaged in you know, a conspiracy of some sort to bring down the president and Republicans and conservatives. And it's just not true. Well, no, I don't necessar- it, necessarily disagree with you, by the way, particularly since she did not do it on the air. But what about Kurt Schilling? I mean, if that was right, right, then this is a double standard on I, their well, part, well, first right? first off, it, I'm not sure because, first off... For, for his comments were about His gays, comments were they? about transgender people. Transgender they were people, obviously right. factually incorrect. Mm-hmm. He he tweeted an image or put on Facebook an image of a man dressed in drag and essentially said the same thing that Republicans, a lot of Republicans were arguing about North Carolina's bathroom bill, which is that it would let men into the bathroom to sexually abuse people. Right. Which we know is factually untrue. That law was not going to have that effect. And not only that, it was ESPN employees transgender people and people who are LGBT and I assume people would not be comfortable working there with someone like that. Should he have been fired? I don't know. I don't particularly care about Kurt Schilling's political views. They're, I mean, I wrote about it. They're pretty abhorrent but, you know, when he's when he's calling a baseball game, I don't care about his political views. Okay, now um, Sarah Sanders is not the only one talking about this issue uh, over the, the last You're few You're going to mention this guy, aren't you? Yes. I see it written. Uh, I had to, Travis. Guy, this guy named Jamie, Clay, I told you about this. This guy named Clay Travis, who appeared with my good friend, Brooke Baldwin, on CNN. 
uh, talking about ESPN. Uh, and he takes it to an entirely different level. Here he is. I think that's a bad move. I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I believe in only two things completely, the First Amendment and boobs. And so once they made the decision that they were Wait, not did going you just to say allow a you conservative non-sports related commentary, they hold couldn't on, do hold it Hold on, either. hold on. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly as a woman anchoring the show. Did you say, what did you say? You yeah. believe in the First Amendment and BWBS? Boobs. Two things that have only never let me down in this entire country's history. The First Amendment and boobs. What a horse's ass. This is the people, this is the type of person that ESPN is... He's a Fox News radio reporter. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, sports radio. I don't know what his setup is. Fox Sports says they're no longer paying him. Who knows? But this is he is essentially waging his one-man campaign as Periscope's most dedicated customer to make ESPN out to be this liberal conspiracy website. And it's nuts. And oh, he's behind CNN that. Yeah. and Fox and whoever, Tucker Carlson, are giving him the platform to say stuff like that. Now, this whole conversation is inane. Because that's who's leading that charge. Yeah. I mean... Uh, and it, like, you know, should... I don't know. I, I, I'm at a loss for words about the whole thing. Well, I can't believe the CNN put him on, for one thing. And, uh, right. And, and good for Brooke Baldwin for calling well, him on it. And look, but, you know, she thing, might have just said, you're off here. Get out. But get the, out. the thing about so much of this is that Jamel Hill is a black woman. ESPN yeah. has done a good job, better than most in the media, of elevating the voices and giving black women, black men, people of color, women in general, a platform in sports mm -hmm. and a platform mm -hmm. in the media. And Jamel has become this avatar for, for this sort of hatred and because yeah. of who she is. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what ES ESPN should be defending her. Right. Because she gets that every day. All right. So more Jamel Hill and, uh, and, and less Clay Travis, huh? Yes. And we'd all be better off. Yes. All right. And we're also a lot better off because you're here, man. Uh, thanks. Welcome back. Welcome home. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your good work. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate and it. And the rest of the day, friends, is all yours. Enjoy it. Come back and see this us again tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.